What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here, sitting down with Matt Odell for another edition of Rabbit Hole Recap. It is Thursday, March 4th, around 3.30 on the Beast Coast. The price of Bitcoin, according to the trade block, XBX index is $3,868.68. Matt, what block are we at? 566088. Nice. Getting closer to the halving. Block, what is it, 630,000? Yeah. One block at a time. One block at a time. Stacking blocks. Uh, we got a lot of topics today. Uh, before we get into those, quick shout out to our sponsors. First off, we got Honey Miner. You guys know all about Honey Miner. They're our, uh, a favorite of ours to help you guys stack sats. Easy one click download of mining software on any spare GPU or CPU hardware you have lying around. Uh, what Honey Miner does is it finds the most profitable uh, chain to mine at any given point in time, mines that chain, and then auto dumps it for BTC and, and divvies out Satoshis to, to the miners on the network. Uh, we have a special ref link there, stackingsats.com. You can go check out Honey Miner there. If you don't want to support us, you can just go to honeyminer.com, but we prefer you go to stackingsats.com. Also, next up, uh, new sponsor. Shout out to the new sponsors. Always like when we get new sponsors. Uh, next sponsor up is Unchained Capital. Unchained, for you freaks don't know, a uh, company down in Texas. They're coming out with a multi-signature vault. I actually tested it the other day, and it was really sleek. We've been talking a lot about multi-sig UX on this podcast in particular. I think Unchained has uh, definitely improved the UX a little bit. It will be a two of three multi-sig, 100% cold storage, supporting treasures and ledgers, and designed for users to remain sovereign, controlling two of three keys. There'll be a live demo of the product at the Austin Bitcoin Developers Meetup on Monday, March 11th. That's four days from now. If you're down in South by Southwest in Austin and you want to see this demoed live at the uh, Austin Bitcoin Meetup, uh, that's where it's going to be demoed next week. Again, March 11th at the Bitcoin Meetup in Austin. Bitcoin Developers Meetup, excuse me. Our boy Justin Moon leads that meetup. He's been on this podcast before. Great dude. Uh, very excited to see this product demoed. If you're in person, you can see it in person. Uh, they'll also be streaming it online. We'll get you guys a link to that eventually. It'll be on Twitter. Matt, what a fucking week. Dude, the jackpot was fucking dope. Well done. Thank you, sir. It was surreal. It was surreal. And I really like that picture. It was, it was really, it was a, it was a badass picture. Uh, photo Craig goes to Miles. Shout out Miles. There you go. Miles is the man. Um, no, yeah, it was a surreal experience. I felt like uh, when it was all said and done, we recorded for 31 minutes. I think he was in the room for 35 minutes and... Uh, when he's it was, all business. He's all business, that Jack. All business. Um, yeah, when it was all said and done, I felt like Will Farrell at the end of old school when he's debating and he like wakes up. He's like, I just blacked out what happened. That's essentially what happened. No, it was, it was you, for it, it felt, you know, everyone was disappointed that he only gave us a half hour, but that was like the densest half hour ever. It felt, it felt a lot longer. So well done on that, on that account. Thank you. I was very uh, cognizant of pushing the conversation forward, not going off on too many tangents, though I would have liked to. Um, but it has been interesting to see the, uh, sort of lesson I'm taking from this is firsthand experience of experiencing fake news. I, everyone just jumped on that one, that, that, that one quote taken out of context. Well, it wasn't even a quote. What happened was like people went on Twitter and like basically knew that the Jack had n never said $10,000 in. Well, he said he limited it out on, yes, on cash out. Yes. And then. Bitcoiners, of course, made us abreast to the fact that the, the limit is $10,000 and uh, the mainstream ran with that and, and just assumed that he's buying 10K every week. Jack's just just balling <laughs> out, man. Stacking sets. I mean, besides the point, like, 
I'd be so frustrated if I was Jack and I was getting limited on my own company. I was like, when I first heard the, because you gave me like a sneak peek of it. When I first heard the, the quote, I was like, there's no way that his own company is, oh, like, oh, Jack is such a, you know, fraud risk, right? Like they need to have a limit on his like an account. It was kind of nice that he plays by the same rules, I guess. Yeah, that or maybe it was just like a sly remark to hint that he doesn't like the limit for anybody. Who knows? Meanwhile, like the next day while you're on the plane coming back, he's, he stacks sats and, and wasn't limited out, right? Yep, he stacks sats. $29. Did a, it's completely random. 29 I guess that's a code for something. Yeah, I don't know. Complete, maybe that's the year we, we hit hit the one cent, one Satoshi parody. That would be interesting. 2029. 2029. Decade away. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, a million dollar Bitcoin is what the one cent <laughs> Satoshi uh, parody would be. Um, that would be a hundred million dollars, wouldn't it? Oh, uh, no, because it's no. one cent. Yeah, I'm wrong. There's a hundred million Satoshi's. Yeah, in I'm Bitcoin. wrong. I'm wrong. I thought I thought it was a dollar for a second. Um, well, that'd be crazy talk for 2029. Yeah. No, and then he, uh, then he drew on Satoshi's place too. Yeah, and and he. He drew a borderline irresponsible thing, too. He did the Bitcoin to the exit, right? No, he didn't draw that. He just tagged. He didn't do the Bitcoin t- to the exit? No, he tagged at Jack. Like right that, was, that was all he did was the at Jack at the I know, top? We, we can only assume. I, I like to think that he did the, 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 big, the, the man running to the Bitcoin exit door. And I was like, I saw that. I was like, wow, Jack, you're trying to institute some FOMO going on here? <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, we can only assume. I don't know if you want to assume he did. I'm just going to assume that's what he did. Okay. I feel like that's what most people got out of it. So yeah, no, it was a fun either e- way. That's what people think he did. I think. Yeah. Um, no, but it was a fun experience. We talked about Jack for a while, and I'm sure it's a worn out topic on this podcast. But it was cool experience to uh, sit down and speak with him in person. Um, and like I said, I would have loved to like jump down a bunch of other rabbit holes with him, but the time uh, constraint just forced me to push forward. It was really cool. Happy it happened. I hope you freaks like I hope you freaks liked it. Um I hope it's good for the mainstream too. I think he I think he did like a very good job of uh, creating like a grander vision. Um or not a grander vision, like you're describing the grand vision. Well yeah, and he you know, he helped he helped our pod move up on the rankings on uh, iTunes. That too. Spread the Bitcoin mind virus some more, right? Yeah, that I got a I got a text from a couple of people whose parents had said, "Hey, I listened to this this podcast, and I'm like open to Bitcoin now." Apparently, it's uh, turning some older minds. Happy to see that. I mean, I told I told my parents that uh, you recorded with Jack. It was like a nice validation in the middle of a bear market to you know bring it back to them. Look, I'm not like a complete fuck up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if my parents have a. Uh, I th- they may still think I'm a fuck up. I'm not sure yet. I, I, they may just think like, what the hell? How did this happen? I sent the picture. I sent the picture to my mom and she's like, she's like, is Marty the one on the left or the right? And I was just like, ah, you know, you take, you take what you can get. <laughs> yeah. I doxed myself there. Yeah, you guys know I have blonde hair now. Um, moving on though to another topic, heavy topic, pretty fucked up. What's going on in Canada, but, but it should be expected. Right. So is it the Treasury doing this or just like the Canadian government? So it, um, it says on the tweet, right? Do you see it? You don't link to the tweet. I only have uh, my bad. So anyway, uh, Canada is sending out uh, audit questionnaires to known Bitcoin and crypto holders asking them um, to disc- it's the yeah, it's the 
Canada IRS, mm-hmm. the Canadian Revenue Agency. Um, they're asking, you know, how much Bitcoin you own, how much crypto you own. They're asking people to disclose addresses, which is something that I've theorized a lot behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually haven't really talked publicly about it a lot because uh, there's like a fine line here where like I'm not trying to advocate for anyone to like break laws or anything like that. I've had a couple of people poke me about that today. What do you mean? Um, With the wasabi shit that you were like, recommending? No, like the point is, the point is, is like pretty much every government in the world in the near future is going to put laws on their books that asks you to disclose, disclose addresses. Um, and all I'm saying is, is that when that happens, it should be more of a voluntary uh, process like you should, you know, disclose what you, you know, comply with your laws, but disclose what you want to disclose. Don't have like a gun to your head. And like people don't realize like how much information they're leaking out there. And it's it's the natural progress. You know, the natural progression here is is they, they ask you to disclose addresses. And then if you don't disclose an address that they know about, then they throw the book at you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so so like nanny state shit though it's like crazy i can't imagine ever handing over i mean it could definitely happen here in the u.s having to hand over a list of addresses that i own um i mean look it's gonna get messy it's not it's not easily enforceable um there's no way to prove you don't own a certain amount of bitcoin you didn't lose a private key right yeah you can prove that you own a certain amount if you want to yes um but there's no way to definitively prove that you don't uh so it's 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 going to be messy, but they'll do it on like a case by case basis. And what they're going to want to do is they're going to want most people will disclose their addresses. Right. And as people disclose their addresses, it reduces the anonymity set for everyone else. Right. Like uh, if like one of your friends discloses an address and like two years ago you transacted with him to like buy him a beer or something. Yeah. It's like sharing your DNA with 23 and me. You're yeah. fucking over you everybody fuck over else. Everyone else, too. Yeah. Not just yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's important that like when you're, you know, when you're pulling out of KYC exchanges and anything that's linked to your identity, you know, you take precautions. Right. And right now, the, the easiest precaution to take is is to use Wasabi Wallet uh, just because it's super user friendly and accessible to pretty much everyone. Yeah. No, and this was uh, actually sparked another not this uh, Canadian Revenue Service incident in particular, but uh the Coinbase discussion around neutrinos sort of sparked a conversation on Twitter. I believe Pierre and Francis Poilette were talking about it. Like what are these exchanges legally obligated to collect like from, from users? Cause we had the case in the Netherlands last couple of weeks ago where uh, nefarious actors identified a crypto trader, a Bitcoin trader. And we don't know if it was, we still don't know if it, like I saw that in the band. We don't know for sure. We know he was a crypto trader. We don't know if it was necessarily uh, an it exchange. Probably was. It probably was, but we don't know if it was if it was necessarily crypto related. It could my, have just been. Am I spreading fake news that I'm decrying? You know, it's it's it, the it wasn't in English. First of all, the one story about it. Yeah. And you know, we don't know what they took or you know what exactly happened there. We just know he was a crypto trader and he was violently robbed. Yeah. He tortured him in front of his like little daughter. Yeah, it's fucked. It's up. fucked. Um, no, but uh, but that does beg like I can't answer this off the top. Like I don't know. 
what exchanges are legally obligated to to extract from users in the form of personal identification but especially with this stuff like especially with home address like the home address shit and the phone the, numbers and all that shit and it's the same thing with like these like you think the canadian government can keep this shit safe like they can't keep it safe like having a database of all of your citizens holdings and where they live and shit is like horrible it's like right? absolute horrible um and and i don't trust them at all with securing it even if they mean the best intentions which right they don't uh, the as far as we never really talked about it happened in between when we last recorded was the coinbase rep accidentally leaking it, that they were having issues with it seems like chain analysis that were leaking they, she data said selling customer data yeah and what uh, what they mean by that is the way these chain analyst companies work is there's like a give give and take agreement where basically they're when, they're providing a data set that includes people from other exchanges and stuff addresses linked to people basically yes. and they're using that in their product yeah so as coinbase interacts with these chain analysis companies the one in particular that they're trying to get away from it seems uh that company was just able to throw that data into their models and uh, use those models with other exchanges right and then they sell that product to other exchanges they're like we can identify who people are who are sending things right but they're not exactly selling the, the direct data set exactly and the scary thing here is that all of these exchanges are or pretty much all of the fiat ex- exchanges are, are doing it. And to go back to the, the, uh, the Pierre point, they probably in a lot of situations aren't required to do it. They're going like above and beyond because they're so scared of getting fucked. But, uh, I think that's, do people need to stand up though? Do you think we need no, a, I, a corporate stance or a stance in the corporate world to, you know, it's, it's good that we fight back on this stuff. Look, delete Coinbase worked. Everyone said it wasn't going to work. They've announced that they're going to fire the hacking team guys or whatever. Hopefully the hacking team guys will be angry about it and then we'll hack them. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, we don't, we don't want Coinbase to get hacked. We're not trying to say that. We, we should fight back. Like you should be angry. You should do social pressure and whatnot. But the thing is, even if these exchanges aren't required to do this data collection, if they don't do it, then the laws will be passed that will require them to do it. Right. Yeah. Like I, a lot of it is because it's new. So if if you need, if you need to make it so that it's in the books that they legit have to do it, all you need is one of these big exchanges not to do it, right? And then then it'll become in the books, right? Didn't uh, what did I read? Was this? I'm trying to remember if this was um. No, it's not. But uh, I was thinking of the Coin Center piece that dropped today. It has to do with something completely different, but. It is an interesting problem we find ourselves in. Like, I mean, that's the heavy topic of this conversation. This podcast, excuse me, is keeping your data secure uh, in this world on the internet, in particular. And I think we need to have the open conversation, especially around Bitcoin exchanges. It takes it to a whole other level with money and bearer assets, in particular. Like, you should think about people's safety over uh, Orwellian oversight. Well, I mean, you said it well in the bend. Like, all this is a temporary issue. Right. Like we just need, it's only an issue for these, these exchanges that are their fiat on ramps, off ramps. And, um, they're a, a temporary stopgap thing until, you know, everyone's using Bitcoin and you don't need to go in between fiat. Right. Yeah. And until then, I think we said on a previous pod, you know, you have like maybe one, two KYC services that, that you are trust. You have to trust because you have no choice. 
uh, it's the easiest way to get in and out, you know, unless you use something like Bisque or like local Bitcoins or, um, and then, and then you, you use Wasabi or, you know, you, you disconnect your, your connections, you use CoinJoin to disconnect your connections to that particular exchange. And then hopefully in the future, we'll get better privacy guarantees. Like really the solution here isn't social pressure. The solution here is to make it so chain analysis and similar companies like Neutrino and stuff can't fucking track us to begin with. Right. And, you know, I, because of these topics, we've had a lot of talk about privacy, Wasabi, uh, VPNs, Tor, a lot of these things that I don't think are talked about enough. And I, I, I love that because these are the teachable moments that we were talking about with Murad, where I was like, every time you have these privacy situations, you have the ability to convert like a couple people. Um, but one of the issues with all this right now, and I see this firsthand as like people ask me questions in my DMs and Telegram and Keybase, like, because all those are open. If any of you ever have any questions, just reach out. Don't get angry at me if I don't respond for a couple of days, but I will respond. Um, is that using Bitcoin privately right now is more of an art than a science. Right. There's so much nuance to it. There's so many different independent little things that you have to do as an individual to tailor to yourself, to tailor to your threat model. Who are you worried about? Who are you trying to protect yourself from? What, what draw, trade-offs do I have? What drawbacks do I have? It's way more an art than a science. It's very hard for, for someone to say, do this. This is the way you should do it. You know, follow these steps. And, and that's where increasing Bitcoin's privacy guarantees, that's why it's important because you need, we need to make it so that it's very easy, very straightforward, not nuanced on how to, how to be private with this shit. And then there's a lot, it's a long way to go. It's, it's we're, you know, we're not that close. Yeah. Slowly but surely brick by brick again, like, yeah, we're only a decade in, we still have a lot, a lot to get done in, in terms of fungibility and scalability in particular. I mean, the other issue is like, is like for someone like me, like I'm trying to educate people on this. We're both trying to educate people on this. And at the same time, we're trying not to hurt our privacy too much, right? Not, not to talk about exactly how we do things, how, what, what our processes are and, and what we take. And we're not anons either, right? So like, for instance, like today, like I'm telling people, like, if you don't take your privacy back, like you're going to have to disclose all your addresses, Right. And like people are, are, are messaging me like, Matt, are you advocating breaking the law? Like, no, I'm not advocating breaking the law. You know, like I have to be, you have to be very, there's so much nuance here. It makes it so much more difficult. Like it needs to be more straightforward. Wasabi's making it a lot better. Um, I'm really excited about all the things that have been happening with Wasabi Wednesday. It seems like we're starting to hit more of a critical mass. Have people been participating? Yeah. I mean, yeah. look, uh, the the default and the, the default mixing round amount, like the amount of participants in the mixing round, uh, no power keeps increasing it. Wasabi keeps increasing the amount as more people join. Uh, mixes are going through quicker. Volume is picking up. The more people that use it, the more private it gets. We've seen the hashtag take off. Um, we got a little treat for you guys next week. We have uh, no para Adam of uh, Wasabi. He's going to come on for Wasabi Wednesday next week for a special RHR. So that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, he's going to join us. We're going to jump in uh, to Wasabi and dive deeper into this topic of privacy. In general, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very excited for that. Uh, Dude, I respect a ton, and it'd just be great to have him on. Right, I'm pumped for that as well. Um, so that's next Wednesday. That'll be dropping. Um, 
so participate in Wasabi Wasabi Wednesdays if you haven't already. It's WasabiWallet.io. It's available on all all different uh, platforms. Um, I mean, look, unless you guys are a new listener, you've heard us show this a million times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, check it out. It is a hot wallet. You know, your, your computer is connected to the internet, so send batches through it. You know, don't put all your funds in it at once. It is connected to the internet. But I have been... Full disclosure, I've been using Wasabi, you know, since this came out, no problem. Yeah. What was the problem when... Every 24-7, I've been using Wasabi like 24-7 since fucking August. So, like, what's your excuse, guys? Come on, get to it. What was the problem when, uh, like, in one of their text bars when people would type of Chinese characters would come up? Oh, that was just like a little a little joke that they put in. Mm-hmm. Um, people did not like it. Uh, they liked it. They like it because... It uh, forget their reasoning around it. It was a, it, it was actually like a pretty good reason. It was it was. We can ask no par next week. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty good reason. It was an advan- having different types of characters was an advantage from a UX perspective, um, because it shows different Chinese characters instead of uh, just star 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 for your password. Uh. Um, but. I guess like if you spoke Chinese, it was like stupid American, stupid like Westerner doesn't know how to speak Chinese or something is what it says. Yeah. You type it out. <laughs> That's funny. Um, no, yeah. So be on the lookout next week for Wasabi Wednesday. We'll have no para spitting all privacy knowledge. Um, next topic, Ripple and FinCEN. They're, uh, I guess, the, uh, the documents from the, the case FinCEN brought against Ripple Labs have dropped. It doesn't seem good. It seems like uh, the government was pretty easily able to coerce Ripple Labs to um, sort of give up information. and uh, They have to track everything. Ripple is tracking everything for FinCEN. Yeah, they're tracking everything. Um, so it goes hand in hand with what we said before. They basically, like, think of it like they have, like, a huge-ass Excel table. And every single time they connect a Ripple address to, like, a phone number or person, stuff like that, they just keep track of it. And then they can de-anonymize as many people as possible how many people are using ripple like 15 people or something like that (laughs) they all have like 100 bot accounts each right i don't know man fucking but but this is what happens if you're if you're if your network is centralized if you prioritize fast and free transactions um your network is going to be centralized and if your network is centralized I mean, Ripple didn't even try to not be. They just were centralized from the start. But if your network is centralized, there's somewhere where they could put pressure on. They're going to put pressure on you, and they're going to regulate your chain. Like, that's the, end, that's the end days of every single chain that prioritizes fast and cheap transactions over censorship resistance and, and distribution, right? You want it to be as distributed as possible. Right. And I've actually heard stories of people trying to like run a ripple node and ripple labs having to literally send them a usb with the blockchain on it because they couldn't yeah our buddy got he had they sent him like what three terabytes on I SSDs. Four. i think four terabytes yeah, yeah and fedex it was it <laughs> that's how they're spreading their chain around the world yeah you gotta distribute the blockchain through uh fedex yeah i mean ripple is a fucking joke so all right uh twitter engagement man it's at 2015 levels uh no, what does that what does that say levels. man what does that say Nobody's interested. Okay, so this is the second time it got posted. It's be it, Murad posted it a month ago. Okay, it's Bitinfo's chart that they have this chart of, that's supposed to show Bitcoin tweets. No one really knows exactly what is tracking. There's 
Some people are guessing it's tracking hashtag Bitcoin. Uh, it's not tracking any just regular Bitcoin mentions or anything like that. Uh, and the chart shows that engagement on Twitter mentions of Bitcoin and stuff are lower than 2015 levels. Well, I'm interested to see if it's like the cash tags, because I remember back in 2015, 2014, like the cash tags were like a lot right, of... Like cash BTC or yeah, whatever. Yeah, the, the cash tags don't come up as often as they do. Well, you know, there was also like a ton of bots and shit, right? Yeah. That would just like auto if this, then that, like post stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's all besides the point, because we don't know how they tracked it in 2015. We don't know how they track it today. All I know is that we were around in 2015... Not only was 2015 way deader than today across all platforms. It was dead. Twitter hadn't really taken off as a as a Bitcoin crypto platform yet. Most of the discussions were happening on Reddit and IRC and Bitcoin Talk. And so Bitcoin Twitter was probably crypto Twitter back then. It was all traders. Right. It was mo- it was mostly altcoin traders and stuff. And like I brought up, I had a thread today where like I brought up uh, old tweets that are still there today. From like Vitalik and Charlie Lee and stuff. And I purposely did like non necessarily Bitcoin people, but you know, big follower accounts that had like no engagement. You know, like Vitalik is like, a, he quote tweets Zuku and he has like three retweets, seven likes, and no replies. And it's not like those are just 2015's engagement. That's all the engagement on that 2015 tweet to today, right? Like that tweet's existed for four years and engagement was so low back then that he got no fucking replies, not even a fucking bot. So like it's not even close. It's it's way off. The chart is like extremely misleading. This gets Matt um, riled up, freaks. Well, because it was really he's funny enraged like, right now. The whole reason Jack, the whole reason I took the lightning torch to begin with was because Murad posted this fucking chart in February, <laughs> and so like the first thing I did was I just replied to him Bitcoin, and then you remember like a bunch of people replied Bitcoin. I got like. 55 different responses to that one tweet that was just people replying Bitcoin. Chart didn't move a fucking inch, right? Then passed it to the passed the torch to the CEO of Twitter. Tor- and, and he goes on a fucking tear and just goes crazy pro Bitcoin shilling all over, right? Yeah, now he's buying $10,000 a week. Chart didn't move at fucking all. Just kidding. Right? Gets a Casa Hoddle note, uses, uses Satoshi Dice. You know, uh, does stacking sats, chart doesn't move at all. So it's it's highly questionable. And then at the same time, like the level of engagement that these tweets are getting that are, you know, like like Murad, Murad's original tweet got like a thousand likes. You know, uh, Alex, who's the Alex Kruger, who's the one who posted it today, like he got like 250 likes, like 60 responses, like 35 retweets. Like, that would have been insane engagement in, in fucking 2000. Just the engagement they get on the tweet saying that there is no engagement compared to 2015 proves that there's, like, way more fucking engagement than 2015. Right. This is a topic that, that's dear to Matt's heart. I, like, you guys kind of know how it feels to live in 2015, but, like, no, you don't. No. You know, And it, anyone who was there knows that it was, like, it was fucking dead. It's pre-rage quit, right? What? It was Rage Quit January 2016 or 2015? Yeah. Uh, It's 2016, I think, right? I think it might have been. I don't know. January 2015 was the bottom. 
All right, that was when. That, that it was, was like right around there. He like yeah. did it like right low. It was right? 2015 it was like, then. It yeah. was like the, the, he did it at like the worst possible time. <laughs> I mean, like he's always going to, Mike Hearn will always have the best rage quit. Like I don't think Kevin, Kevin Pham can ever compete with him. Bitcoin is a failed experiment. Yeah. Wasn't that the title of his blog? Yeah, and then he joined R3 and like where the fuck is R3 now, right? Nowhere to be seen. Um, next topic, AB Core. Uh, version 0.70 is out. AB Core is a cool project uh, that Udi and Larry Bitcoin and Larry Bitcoin are working on. Udi Worthmeyer, um, and this basically allows you to run nodes on Android device, devices, Bitcoin nodes. Yeah, you like an old phone or like uh, the Android TV boxes you can get for mad cheap, like 50, 60 bucks, or whatever. You can run this. It's a version of Bitcoin Core that runs on Android. Yeah, so shout out to those two for putting putting the team on their backs and putting this out that's pretty dope it's uh, a fun way to uh it's a it's a it's it's a fun it's it's a fun way to have like a cheap note it's a nice a nice way to have a cheap full note uh helping out on the quest for further decentralization decentralization is a scale and it's an ideal that you strive for this helps us uh, get a little closer to that ideal i would argue there you go next topic oh by the way we're we're drinking uh tequila courtesy of the my, Mamudov brothers. Mamadov. Mamadov brothers. Masir and Murat. Shout out to the Mamadov brothers. Strong bloodline you got there, boys. This Thank is fucking you. delicious tequila. They got us very, very nice tequila. It is good tequila. We got new drinking glasses here at Tales from the Crypt, too. Mrs. Marty put the team on her back. Um, QE NERP. A lot of people talking about NERP these days. Draghi came out. or Draghi's not there anymore. Somebody at the ECB came out and said that negative interest rates. Draghi is still there. Uh, negative interest rates um, are are going very well in in some countries. Uh, obviously, the IMF has that blog that I wrote about a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's basically explaining how we can get to a cashless society. Ban cash, Ban negative cash. interest rates. Um, and then uh, I guess the Fed chairman Williams commented on it too. Uh, it just seems like the the talk of negative interest rate policies is heating up. Uh, and I've been warning about this. I've been sounding the alarm bells this is very uh this is not very good this is not something we should be striving for it's an essential tax on your deposits uh it dis uh disencourages um or dissuades people from saving stuff like that uh but it seems like there's a coordinated effort by the uh basically the banking industry more importantly like the imf the world bank the ecb the important decision makers in the banking world are trying to normalize negative interest rate policies this is why we bitcoin freaks that's why bitcoin at least yeah i mean this is like the core of the bitcoin thesis right the core of the bitcoin long-term thesis yeah no, this goes back to the sovereign individual like when they predicted it they said it's going to get to a point where citizens demand uh, an asset through which they can protect their wealth against uh, over overarching and overbearing governments who have a an unsatiable thirst for for money and money spending in particular yeah I mean I, I I think this path is inevitable they have no other they have no other path forward really right and it's just it shows how inevitable it is that they're actually talking about it because for a long time, this was stuff that just was reserved for the pages of Zero Hedge or right uh, conspiracy theorists with tinfoil hats and stuff. So it's becoming a thing. When a Reuters reporter, you know, tweets it out in all caps, like then you know it's real. Right. 
So be aware. Keep following that trend. Uh, again, macro is a, a theme on this podcast, this rabbit hole recap in particular. And if you take a look at the macro uh, scene right now, it's, it's pretty frothy. I mean, we've been saying this for a while. But like this is part of the thing, right? Like if they're going to ban cash or like dissuade the use of cash to the point where it's effectively banned, um, institute negative interest rates. Like, of course, they're going to put laws on the books that say you have to disclose all your addresses. Right. The The, the key is that, you know. If you if if you handle it properly, like they won't know unless you want them to. Well, they shouldn't even be able to. That's the fucked up thing is that people would so willingly give up this shit. Like you, get, people have to realize that it is so bad that it's gotten to this point that they're trying to get every fucking cent and satoshi they can out of you because they fucked up uh, basically the funding machine for all their vast projects around the world, whether it be war or uh, social programs, and now. They want to tax you automatically when you get a direct deposit into your account with negative interest rate policy. You get basically, essentially, it's not a, a direct tax, but it is essentially a tax on your hard-earned money right away. They're just they're just following their incentives, Marty. Just, it's true. You can't be you can't be mad at humans when they act greedy or when they act in their own self-interest. You know that's the beauty of Bitcoin is we just expect it to happen. That's true. That Plan is true. for it. Yeah, but make people aware of this, freaks. Sound the alarm. Uh, to the people in your lives that you care about. Um, next topic, BlockFi. <laughs> Crypto Twitter <laughs> blowing up. Obviously, disclaimer, they've been uh, oh my God. Uh, a sponsor of this podcast in the past, uh, very recently. Um, but they released an interest rate uh, product or uh, Bitcoin, excuse me, they released a product that allows you to earn interest on your Bitcoin if you store it uh, on BlockFi. Right, it's not a savings account. No. That some pubs called it a savings account. People called it a savings account. It's not a savings account. I actually, our buddy, uh, 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 I don't know who you're thinking of. Uh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Okay, anyway, someone's described it very good on Twitter. He said, uh, it's like a junk bond. You know, you think of it like a bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why the yield, the yield is you're basically paying on the risk of them, you know, uh, d- on them defaulting. Yeah. No, it's a good analogy. I mean, it sounds like a good analogy to me. And, and I think the, the biggest sort of cause of controversy was they released their, their terms and, uh, were very transparent about what exactly what they're doing. And we're basically made it known like, Hey, it is p- possible that we could get hacked or become insolvent. And right. That was Jeff Vandrew who did that, our buddy Jeff. Yeah. Vandrew CPA, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, what's his... Uh, J- Vandrew Watt CPA. Watt E CPA. You know, great Let's throw in the show notes. Um, but yeah, so they they released their, their report and it's sort of up in the air. I'm not... I mean... This is not in my risk appetite, this product, so I haven't done... I'm not going to use it. Yeah, I haven't done insane due diligence on it, but uh, speaking of due diligence, like people are freaking out about their terms of service, and I just got a little chuckle because this risk exists across every exchange and service that you use in crypto, and they, they, ju- and they just wrote it on paper and just like made it known to people, like, this can't happen, and well, they literally people freak the wrote, fuck out. They literally wrote... Uh, they literally wrote the word rehypothecation on the. They're like, oh, they we did? might rehypothecate. Uh, so, that's not good. Yeah, but I mean, they were like trying to trigger uh, Caitlin Long, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, but but yeah, they're disclosing all this stuff. That's what the rate is there for. Um, if people don't use it, the rate will go up. Yeah. If people use it, the rate will go down. 
Yeah, it's a market. It's a market derived rate, and it's an option for people. And uh, yeah, it depends what your risk appetite is. And it's not like you're putting all your money in it, or you're putting none of your money in it. Like some people might choose to put a little bit in. Uh, it is a privacy hole as well. Like as we were talking about before, like you're going to link those transactions to you. You do. You have to pay taxes on the interest. Yeah, you're going you to pay, pay taxes on it too. So all decisions that should go into your model so, of whether or not you engage with this product. Um, so those addresses you will definitely have to disclose to the government because they know you're making profit off of them as well. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's not in my risk appetite right now. I'm not. I'm not locking Bitcoin up on a centralized third party at the moment. But I think it's still a big deal. It's a good option, you know, and I do, I have to say that I do like, I fucking, I love Bitcoiners. I just, I love how a new product gets announced. They're immediately and skeptical like 50% are like super excited. And then 50% are like, this company should burn in hell. They're going to take all of our Bitcoin. Yeah. And let me be clear. I don't think BlockFi is going to do anything nefarious or lose anybody's Bitcoin. It's just like. Well, they might. It could. They're you're taking think that risk, happen. and they're not liable happen. for it. Yeah. They're not liable for it. I think that's the difference, right, than an exchange. Like, right now, the de facto accepting thing for exchanges is that they're supposed to be full reserve. There's no exchanges out there that are like, we're not full reserve. Yeah, and then and then insuring your reserves is a fucking headache and a half, from what yeah, I understand. This is not insured. Yeah, nothing. And they're storing with Gemini. Yeah. Gemini handles all this. So a lot of the disclosures is because they have to handle it with Gemini. Yeah. But again, like, that's... With these sort of disclosure documents, too, I actually experienced this when I worked at the hedge fund, like the, the concept of abundance of caution, like when you're making these reports or these disclosure reports, especially as a financial institution, uh, you you basically uh, exercise what's called an abundance of caution, where you basically try to make it as transparent as possible, say every fucking possibility that could happen with the funds while you have custody of them as a uh, financial service provider. And actually, like, so when I worked at Dearborn Capital Management in Chicago, Bloomberg actually came out with a hip hit, hit piece on uh, the president of the fund I worked for, Dave Cavanaugh, because he uh, he uh, exercised an abundance of caution in our DDQ and basically said, yes, I'm, I'm a registered trader on uh, CBOT and the CME. Like, it is possible for me to trade against the fund, like, if I wanted to put trades in just as an individual and a bunch of publications took that and ran at like Dave was actively trading against our fund, which was couldn't be further from the truth. It was, he was just exercising an abundance of caution to make it known, hey, this is possible. And I think that's a similar situation you find BlockFi in. Um, so just from being close to a similar situation like that, like I, I would not uh, uh, assume nefarious intentions off the bat. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think they, I don't think they, they mean bad. Uh, they have a, a very extensive disclosure, which is what you want to see, not what you don't want to see. But you also want to see Bitcoiners get angry about disclosures when they disclose certain things that exactly. aren't, are very questionable. And then the other thing is they are, it seems like their main client on the other side, right? The people who are taking the borrowed Bitcoin are short sellers, right? So there is the argument to be made here that in times of, high Bitcoin price appreciation, their short sellers get fucked and then they end up, you know, Getting not having call. full reserves yeah. and then you end up getting a haircut on your Bitcoin or losing your Bitcoin. Um, and part of the Bitcoin thesis is that at any point, you know, 
the price could just go crazy on you and just get out of control and you can't get back in. Yeah. Um, so that's why I personally, that long tail risk, like I would never be comfortable doing that for just 6%. And you're trading in, you know, privacy elements. But like I said, people, some people might. And the market will dictate where that fucking interest rate is. Like, if they can't attract people, they're going to have to raise the rate. If they if they can attract people, then the rate goes down. No, yeah, exactly. And and like you said, like, you love Bitcoiners, and I do too. I actually wrote about this week. Like, no one's beyond reproach. Like, you should be criticizing everybody. Look, like, we made Coinbase bend the knee. Exactly. Again. Um, I love when they bend the knee. It's the best. No, but, yeah. But also, with that being said, it's like, all right, like, this is... Uh, Nah, never mind. I'm not going to get into that. But yeah, so BlockFi has that. It's a it's an interesting product. It's not in my risk appetite personally right now, but um, yeah, they disclosed their their transparency report yesterday, and people freaked out. Queen. I did. I did like how like Zach from BlockFi and stuff. Uh, yeah. Zach Prince was like out there responding to criticisms and talking to people. He's a very accessible person. Yeah. Um, I like. They mean well for the ecosystem. They're trying to make the ecosystem grow. And, yeah, exactly. I love. Yeah, I had, Zach's been on this podcast. Go listen to the episode. I, He's been on every podcast. <laughs> but yeah, your your episode with him was very good. Um, we already talked about Coinbase bending the name. We talked about that in the beginning. Facebook privacy bullshit. Facebook's going fully private. Did you it's hear bullshit. that? Did you hear that? Did you see the end of that bullshit though? <laughs> yeah. Yes. They, well, they want to do like they want to. They basically want to do the Telegram model. I would say of social networks. Where, like, you move more to, like, group chats that are encrypted, right? Yeah, and it seems like they're condensing the messaging platforms from Instagram right. and Facebook together. And uh, WhatsApp. And WhatsApp. All three of their major messaging platforms, Facebook, Insta, WhatsApp combined is, like, $2.6 or something, and they want you to message across them. Um, one of our listeners pointed out that, like, if they were going to go the wallet approach, like, integration would be the first step, right? Because you don't want to roll out different wallets for, like, Facebook and stuff if you yeah. implement it in a messenger. Um, we're going to link to a uh, a great a great thread by uh, Sarah Lewis, I think her name is. She's a privacy uh, proponent. She runs OpenPriv. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talked about how most of this, it's still a good step forward, I would say. But but most of this is um, is bullshit, right? Most of this is they're going to encrypt the independent conversations, but they're going to still try and monetize m- metadata and all this other shit. I mean, like that their whole business has been invading our privacy. How do they? You know, you're only an idiot if you just take them at at face, face value when they say that they're going to become more private of a company, right? Yeah, I'm not sure if they'll ever regain my trust. I mean, I would have to create a new account because I've deleted it already, so we'll see. Yeah, I deleted mine as well. Um, and then on top of that, you know, like three days before they announced that, it came out that the two-factor that they push people into, which is Sharing SMS their phone numbers to, with everybody. Yeah, they just combined it me? into their database. They just threw it into their database. And we all know about SIM swapping and shit in this industry. Like, that's a huge security risk for people who use Facebook. Right. And that's another thing. Twitter, stop asking me for my phone number, please. I'll put that out there. Jack, if you're listening. I was glad you asked Jack about that. That was good. Because, like, you, we need to protect. Like, if, if NIMS, if you can't use, if you can't use Twitter, uh, like, pretty much anonymously, like, 
it's over. It's the the network is dead, and then yeah, we move to something else. <sighs> I, don't, I would like not to move to something else, but if we have to. Oh, but anyway, on that will. note, with the two factor, it's just always important to talk about. Use an app. You know, yes. use one of the app based ones. Um, if you have an Android, you can you can use. There's a couple good open source ones on F Droid. Get a YubiKey if you can, if you want yeah. to take it to another level. Yeah, but I, I think, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I think when you start threat modeling, like people getting hacked, having the cell phone app route, it's like that never happens to anyone. They're too busy sim swapping everyone else. You no, know, I, uh, I agree with that, but like I had actually, I couldn't write the bent first time I fucking missed a bent in my life. But uh, if you're app based, well, you don't need the internet. How did that no, happen? So what ha- exactly. So what happened, I was in the air. I bought like the $30 Wi-Fi on United on my laptop uh, and went to sign in the MailChimp, had my 2FA come up, and went to go to, to my 2FA app, and it, it, it had to be updated. So, oh, like, so it was just bad timing. That it was, was, it was horrible timing, yeah. But like, usually the app works completely offline. You could be in airplane exactly. mode. You can be in whatever. It works offline, but there's one instance I had to update it, and... I'm like 40,000 feet in the air. I wound up buying Wi-Fi for my cell phone so I could update it, and then the Wi-Fi wasn't strong enough to update it. Well, they block they block updating apps. They oh, only they let do? you do certain things. So that's what yeah. it was. Um, they block VPNs and yeah. stuff. Yeah, so it was like, I was like in the air. I was like, fuck, I wish I had a YubiKey right now. It would be a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's like like the one, yeah, it was like one, instance. one kind of situation. I mean, just use the app-based. If, if you want to do the YubiKey, fine. Absolutely, it can't hurt. But, but uh, the app-based is a whole lot better than phone. To the point where having a phone number on these accounts a lot of times, even if you have the app set up, having the phone still linked can fuck you because uh, a lot of the password reset, authenticator reset goes through the phone. So they like still, even if you have the app base, they like, so like you have to like actively remove your phone number from a lot of these services, get a burner phone. Yeah. Use Google Voice. It's such a mess. This is what I'm talking about, like privacy. It's such a mess, it's, dude. It's more of an art than a science, and it's like kind of it makes it so fucking difficult to talk about. Maybe that's the industry of the future, fixing all of our data problems. But again, we've been talking about this forever. Nobody cares. Um, <laughs> speaking of database leaks, China had a huge uh, surveillance database leak. DNA, fingerprints, everything. facial recognition. Yeah, so you, you could basically clone all of China right now if you wanted to. I don't think the tech is there yet. <laughs> I mean, that's a big one. Nation state level. So you have that. Like China is like, I would say on like a, po- a polar end of the privacy uh, spectrum being completely Orwellian. Uh, obviously, they have their social credit system, all that. And obviously, that's a huge honeypot for a lot of very personal data, as personal as the chemical makeup of your being. Uh, and you have countries like India who are trying to get into biometrics and slowly but surely... There's dominoes falling on that. I mean, in America, we have problems here with privacy and all this stuff, right? They're doing fa- – the thing is China's just the most aggressive. Like right. what China's doing today is the end game of all these different countries. Um, of every country or uh, – Most of them. I yeah. mean, there'll probably be some that are like more privacy-preserving. Um, I was actually thinking the other day like the best countries to be in and <laughs> like I will be – the ones where you can wear a burqa in, right? Because <laughs> you can't do facial recognition even if they right. you know, they want to. But um, I think 
they want all this information. They want all the identifiers, and they're slowly going to just keep adding identifiers on, right? So face recognition, fingerprints. UTXOs. Yeah, UTXOs like we talked about today, addresses and IP addresses. and Yeah. God. Stop fucking snooping, please. It's so messy. It's just really... We need... Op- and like... We, so we, like need, we need people to sack the fuck up and be like, hey, every government around the world, you're pretty much impeding on everybody's uh, God-given right to liberty and freedom. This is Can you why, please chill out? Can people wake up and like stop watching the Oscars and start yelling at, at these world leaders, please? This is why the fucking m- watching that stupid <laughs> pussy bachelor jump over a fence. This is why the most important mission here is is to further open systems, you know, open software, you know, open networks, open hardware. We need as much of this stuff as open as possible so people can actually interact privately, can interact, you know, with some semblance of privacy. Um Facial recognition, though, is one of those things that is just, we're fucked. I Are we going to have to get face tattoos? No, I, I... Like, glitter paint ourselves before we walk out of the door? I mean, like, have you... You've traveled out of the country recently? Uh, it's been a few months. Like, even our government scans our face now when we go in and out. Yeah. They scan everyone else's. Yeah, you have to take that out And then I picture. got to China. They scanned my face, right? You're, like, walking down the to the to the subway. Like, they, they scan your face, like... Every, almost everyone has pictures online with their faces on it, and we can't get away with it. it away from it, it's our face. You know, like you can't change faces yet. Yet, hopefully, we got to get to a minority report level to do that. So, like, I'm, I'm, I'm super freaked out about the fa- the facial recognition is going to be like a major. Like when you land in a new country in five years, ten years, you're going to land. They're going to do a facial recognition of your face. They're going to know like your Bitcoin addresses. They're going to know where you live. They're going to know your age. They're going to know your occupation. They're gonna, they might know your DNA. They might know your fingerprints. Uh, you know, they might know if any, like, siblings did anything bad. Then they have all the sibling stuff. Uh, like, crazy. Uh, just just the second, literally, the, just the second the camera picks your face up, right? Then all that information they have at their fingertips. Yeah, again, Minority Report. Minority that doesn't end well. Like, there's no way that's good. No. And how do we get, like, again, stop watching The Bachelor, people. Please. Um, last topic of the day. We're actually timing, pacing very well today. Quadriga CX, complete clusterfuck. <laughs> they stole all the Bitcoin. I don't even know where to. Yeah, I I think they might have went bankrupt. No, they were they were they were, they were, they were running. I think it was proven. Yeah, they were insolvent. They were running a fractionally reserved exchange. It, it so, just seems as though their cold wallets were drained between 2016 and 2017. I believe. Well, it came out that he was a like a Bitmex whale. Oh really? That's what I the link I posted today, which continues the clusterfuck. Uh, Mike, uh, what's what's his last name? If you click the link, his last name's there. But his username was Mike XBT. I remember Michael him Patron. The, yeah, I remember him in the the Bitcoin markets uh, threads. Uh, you know, he was throwing millions of dollar positions around on Bitmax and bragging about it and shit. Uh, so there actually is a theory here. They 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 uncracked the laptop. Uh, there's a theory here that there's some money still on other exchanges because they had other exchange accounts and stuff. But either way, you know, most of it is probably lost. And this is just another reminder. Like, that sucks. But, like, it's another reminder of not your keys, not your coins. And this is one of the reasons why people were pushed back on BlockFi so much, right? Yeah. So this guy die? I'm not sure which one died. I think, did Cotton die or did he die? Did no, Patrons I don't think, pa- I don't think Patron's the one who died. I think, I think Patron's guy. a different, he's, like, affiliated yeah. The other guy, it seems like he did die. 
But he might not have cared about his health as much when he found out that they were insolvent and he was fucked, right? Yeah. Uh, but maybe he didn't die. Who knows? It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Where's the coins? You yeah. know? And uh doesn't seem like there are many, if any. Yeah. So uh, That's a shame. Yeah, heartfelt sorry goes out to any you quadriga users who got who got scammed there. I, I, you're not going to let it happen to you again, I'll tell you that much. No, I learned that lesson once. You only have to learn it once. It's not fun. I've been a part of that stuff. Um, that's the last topic. What do you want to riff on? we got nine minutes. What else we, what else we got? Oh, Fidelity. We had a breaking news announcement. You oh, said. yeah, we were supposed to add that to the list. It literally just happened. What, uh, Fidelity Custody is live. Officially open? Yeah. For like beta users. They have like eligible... Uh, yeah, high net worth people that are involved. Yeah, Galaxy is like one of the Bitcoin first. only right now. Uh, is Fidelity the largest manager of money in the? I think so. I in think, the world, uh, is that a stat? I can't speak with certainty on that stat. They're massive, though. Yeah, they are massive. Right, they have yeah. large amounts of money under management. Yeah, and they now have Bitcoin custody in beta. Right. No other coins, just Bitcoin right now. No, yeah, and I think they mentioned in that announcement too they were going to add Ethereum, but uh, are not comfortable enough with the the uh, sort of uh, like the roadmap. The basically. roadmap, yeah, the unfinished roadmap. Um, yeah, I mean, Coinbase wrote like a clickbait article about it today. Uh, you know, Fidelity is not accepting Ethereum because of uncertainty or whatever. But yeah, like they don't know what's going to happen. So like, I mean, that that this is the argument we've made with Bitcoin for like the longest time, but mostly about miners and stuff. But industry participants want to know that they have something that that is um, that they can be comfortable with knowing, well, you know, in five years, I can still access my funds. I can still, you know, nothing, nothing major will change. I'll be able to. Do you know if they have like multi-sig setups for their custody or? Look, they've been very savvy. They took the the trust chain, uh, the the LN chain. Yeah. Uh, I know they mm-hmm. run their own nodes. We have like tons of respect for Nick, who used to be over there with them, right? So yeah. I I imagine they're doing it the right way. They've taken a long time to do it, so I imagine they're doing it the right way, and we'll just we'll see. We'll I see. would not use them either, but but yeah. there are people that are going to use them. That's the thing, right? Like. No, this has like been a strong narrative that's been fucking talked about for years now is when is the institutional money going to get custody? And it seems like the first domino has fallen. I mean, Gemini and other Bitcoin exchanges have existed, but uh, an incumbent from the traditional financial system taking a, taking a big leap like this is incredible to see. Um, your mention of the Lightning Network torch actually piqued my interest. Is the Lightning Network torch, I believe, between now and the last time we met, went through Iran. And that was a big... Uh, was that... Between now and the last time we met? Yeah. And yeah. not only did it go to Iran, after Iran, it went to Israel. Israel. Yeah. And then they tried to get it to Palestine, but I don't think they were able to. It's crazy. Bitcoin bringing the world together, baby. Yeah. But uh, was that illegal? Well, no, it was a... Um, went from Wales to, yeah, to Iran. Right. So I don't know if they have sanctions. I don't know either. Do they have an extradition clause with the U.S.? Or? <laughs> yeah, they definitely have an extradition clause with the U.S. Um, you could just ask uh, the WikiLeaks guy about that. Julian Assange. Julian Assange, yeah. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? The I, it was. I, I, I it's it just shows the power of Bitcoin, right? That and, you you can't stop us even. And that's one thing I write about in the Ben a lot. I was like, that's what I hate about 
again, the macro geopolitics that go on where politicians are just screaming at each other, politicians from different countries screaming at each other, but the individuals in these countries are good people. Like that, uh, the Iranian dude that took the torch, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's been providing good information on Bitcoin on Twitter for a while. And, and Oh, yeah, like Zaya. His name yeah, is Zaya. Yeah, Zaya. Zaya. Seems like a chill dude. He seems badass. Yeah. Um, but just because he lives in Iran, us Americans, we're not allowed to like him, Matt. Well, we're definitely not allowed to send him money. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I love you, Zaya. Like, I'm not in a non-account on Twitter. Like, I can't send you I can't send you lightning uh, transactions. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. You know, like, maybe I would do it behind, I would do it behind closed doors. Possibly, you know, I'm not going to advocate for that, but but not on Twitter. Yeah, but I'm glad it happened. I'm really glad it happened. It's cool to see it go to Israel right after. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. I think uh, gave us like a ni- nice little bit of good press too, which is always a plus. Yeah. Um, but that's what Bitcoin's about, right? Breaking down borders. Borders don't exist. Yeah. Um, as far as financial on the internet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do exist in real life. Yeah, they they are a real thing. Um, yeah. So we got for this week, freaks. Hope you enjoyed this edition of Rabbit Hole Recap. It's been a fun week. I haven't slept that much. A lot of adrenaline pumping. Um, again, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode with Jack. Share it with your friends and family. If you're liking Tales from the Crypt and Rabbit Hole Recap in particular, smash that subscribe button. Share it with somebody. Retweet it. Write a review if you feel so inclined. Um, we got some big plans. Matt and I were spitballing before this. We've got some interesting things coming out for you freaks in the next couple months. Um, I know we teased that in the beginning of the year, but now the ball really is ro- rolling. Well, I think we've been successful at so far uh, yeah. bringing that to them yeah. you know, since the beginning of the year. But we have even bigger things coming, and uh, I'm really excited for next week. We're going to have Wasabi Wednesday with the creator of Wasabi. Like, he's badass. Yeah. No, yeah. Definitely tune in for that one. I'm pumped to speak to Nopar. I've never, I think, I don't think I ever have spoken to Nopar directly other than DMs. As a, as a prep you should listen to his Stefan Levera wasabi. Uh, he has a he has a pod with uh, Stefan Levera. So, if you if you feel so inclined, you should probably listen to that before you listen. Yeah, definitely check that out. That's a good week. one. And then the Samurai Wallet Dev. Uh, also on Stefan. Yeah, also yeah, that Stephon. was a good one. Too. Another good one too. I think they're back to back. All right, thanks for joining us this week, freaks. Got any last words, Matt? Stay humble, stack sats. Peace and love.